Thank you, choir. I love the theme of holiness today. I think I told you, Holy, Holy, Holy was my favorite hymn growing up for a number of reasons. I, I just love the message. I love the tune. And in the Baptist hymnal, it was number one. And so it was always easy for me to find. I've been in a series on the apostles, and I keep thinking that I've concluded it. We went through the 12 original disciples, the first followers of Jesus, and then we added Matthias because he replaced Judas Iscariot. And then I added Paul because he considered himself an apostle and argued vigorously to support that. And then in studying Paul, I ran across Silas. Several times Paul refers to himself and Silas as apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Silas is an apostle. And uh, I've enjoyed this series and I hated to see it close. So I added Silas, the message is Silas Paul's singing companion. And, and uh, the reason I call it that is in the passage this morning, Acts 16, 25 through 34. I think Silas is the instigator of Paul's singing. I never see Paul singing anywhere else but here with Silas. Acts 16, 25, they are in Philippi. They create a hubbub and they end up in prison. And here they are, verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. What do you think if you were a prisoner and you overheard Paul and Silas singing at midnight? Probably telling them to be quiet and get some rest, wouldn't it? Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's fetters were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, men, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once with all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced with all his household that he had believed in God. Bow with me. Father, we are overwhelmed by the sacrifice and the commitment and dedication of your early followers like Paul and Silas. And we shrug it off and think, you yeah, we could never do anything like that. And yet you simply call us to be obedient and faithful followers. And that's our desire. So God, speak to us and challenge us to greater faithfulness and obedience and discover the joy that comes from doing so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So every Sunday I think I've concluded my sermon series on the apostles and then another one comes to mind and in studying Paul, I ran across Silas, Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas. It's always in that order. Paul comes first and then Silas. The two go together. Silas was the kind of companion that didn't mind being in the background, as almost everyone around Paul had to be. Because even though Paul might have been short and stocky in stature, 
he cast a mighty long shadow over everyone around him because he was so powerful and forceful in his personality and character. And it seems Paul always had traveling companions with him. I don't ever recall him going anywhere alone. With the great work he was doing, he had to have someone by his side to share in the, the physical stamina that was required and the overwhelming spiritual load that he was carrying. But even more importantly than just sharing the nature of the work, I think John Hughes would want me to tell you that Paul was doing more. He was also mentoring those around, her, around him. And that's why he had Timothy with him, a younger man teaching him. Timothy, watch me, become my imitator, follow me. And he had Barnabas and John Mark with him on the first journey. And he has Silas with him on his second missionary journey. And he's always teaching, always multiplying himself in his ministry into the lives of others so they could continue the work in his absence. Paul was taking every opportunity to teach and pour himself into others. In ancient times, if you ever watch a movie of the Greeks or Romans, you know that the first line of battle was always composed of archers because they could fire the farthest. An important consideration for an archer would be his bow. Now, what good would an archer be if the string on his bow broke? And so archers developed the custom of putting two strings on their bow. And from that came the reference of a second string. A second string was always backup. It was a reference to a man in reserve would be second string. The, the reserve string on a bow would be second string. And Silas would be Paul's second string, always there behind him, and yet happy to fulfill the role that God had given him. As for his background, and I have a little bit of an outline in your worship bulletin this morning, the names Silas and Silvanus appear in several places in Acts. Silas and Silvanus are the same person. Some translations, as a matter of fact, put Silvanus where Silas is, and I was looking uh, this morning, and Silas is in New Inter International Version where Silvanus is. So the two names are used interchangeably for the same person. The name Silas begins appearing in the book of Acts about halfway through. The first half of Acts is Peter and his mission to the Jews. The second half of the book of Acts is mainly the mission of Paul, and, and his carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, when Paul appears, so does Silas. Paul and Silas go hand in hand, and he first shows up in Acts chapter 15 in what has been called the Jerusalem Council. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, but it's an important event in the life and history of the church. At the Jerusalem Council an important matter was being considered. It was whether or not the message of the gospel would be carried out and how it would be carried out. In the Jerusalem Council, there were those who argued, like Paul, that you were saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation by faith is enough. But in Jerusalem, you had Christians who were former Jews who were arguing that you had to come 
through Judaism, you had to observe some Jewish customs in order to become a Christian. Dietary restrictions, dietary laws, sacrifice, circumcision was a big issue. Paul is saying none of that is necessary for salvation. Paul was trying to carry his message to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were wanting to know, how are we saved? What must we do to be saved? Like the Philippian jailer asked. And Paul is saying salvation is by faith in Christ and what he did. The Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem saying, no, there are these other things that you have to do. It. And so they had this council and they met together and they hashed it out. And thank God they came to a resolution that Paul was adamant about. Salvation by faith alone. And when you get on down into the, the particulars you read in Acts, 20, I mean Acts chapter 15, verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these things, and here they are, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from unchastity. Paul is saying, I've got no problem with that. But salvation is by faith alone. And so the Jerusalem council wrote this letter. Now you're wondering, what does this have to do with Silas? I'm going to get to it in a minute. They wrote this letter and they sent this letter out to the churches by Paul and Barnabas. And it says in verse, uh, Acts 15, verse 22, they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So Silas was already a leading man among the brothers of Christ. We think Silas had been one of the 70. Do you remember that Jesus sent out in Luke 10, two by two, to witness and to heal and to bear witness to the gospel of Christ? We always thought that there were just 12 that followed Jesus, but I think there was a larger crowd. There were the multitudes, 5,000 at times hearing the message. And then there was a smaller group, maybe 70 that was with Jesus most of the time. Perhaps occasionally they went home to, to work, to make some money, to bring it back, to support Paul, to support Jesus and the 12. And then of course there, there was the 12 and then there were the in, this inner circle of three. So all these groups around Jesus and in this larger circle of 70, there was a man named Silas who was with Jesus, who bore witness to the death and burial and resurrection of Christ and saw him in his resurrection appearance, which you remember from Acts 1 was a requirement for apostleship. And we know Silas was also a Roman citizen. Why is that important? Well, because in, in Paul's day, if you weren't a Roman citizen, you were probably a slave. There was no middle class. And as a Roman citizen, Paul and Silas, both of whom were Roman citizens, had entree to the wealthy, to royalty. They uh, were also afforded special privileges. Anytime there was a trial and they didn't like the outcome, they could always appeal to Caesar and go to Rome, which Paul eventually had to do. Also, it prevented them from beatings and things, which happened in Philippi. And when the magistrates in Philippi found out that they were Roman citizens, they had to come and apologize to them. So being a Roman citizen afforded all kinds of privileges, usually reflecting social standing and wealth that Silas enjoyed. Well, Silas is a leader among the brethren in Jerusalem. And they send this letter out, the resolution, the decision of the council. They send out Paul and Barnabas, and then it says later on 
it seemed good in verse 28 to lay upon you no greater burden than these things. And we sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So Judas, Barsabbas, and Silas accompany Paul and Barnabas as they distribute this letter, this decision from the council. Why is that important? Because all this time, Paul is watching Silas. And I think Paul is impressed by this young man's maturity, by his strength. It also says here that men who've risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no telling what hardship Silas had already undergone in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul is making a mental note and he might be thinking to himself, you know, one day I want Silas to accompany me and I'm going to teach him and he's going to be a valuable asset, communicator of the gospel for the kingdom of God. So when the need arose for Paul to have a traveling companion, the first person he thought of was Silas. Paul begins his first missionary journey and he takes Barnabas and John Mark with him and they go to several cities and they establish churches, but somewhere, some reason, halfway along the way, John Mark either gets tired, he gets fed up with Paul for some reason and says, I quit, I'm going back home. Paul and Barnabas complete the journey. Paul never forgets it. So when Paul heads out on his second missionary journey, Barnabas says, Paul, John, Mark, and I are ready to go out with you on your second missionary journey. Paul says, Barnabas, you can come, but John, Mark cannot. He bailed out on me on the first trip, and I'm not going to make that same mistake again. And so Barnabas says, all right, Paul, if, if uh, John, Mark, go, I'll take him and I'll go in one direction and you find somebody else and go in another direction. And that's when Paul picks Silas and they head out and they go toward the northwest and they go towards cities like Derby and Lystra and when they get to a small city called Lystra he and Silas are there and one night Paul has a dream, he has a vision and he has a vision of a man from Macedonia that says Come and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul wakes up the next morning and he tells Silas and they leave the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea and they begin to head northwest into Europe and a new continent is opened up for Christ as they head toward Greece, which is ancient Macedonia. And it seems like when Paul travels as I've mentioned before, he goes to a city. And in that city, he wants to establish a church. Usually he goes to a synagogue first because there are Jewish people gathered reading the scripture and worshiping God. So it's a, a built-in place to start. And Paul begins to point out the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures about prophesying the Messiah and how this man named Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied. And sometimes those Jews believe and they are saved and a church is established. And then Paul, rather than linger a long time, he heads off to another city that has never been evangelized before. And he leaves Silas behind to kind of gather up those fledgling Christians and consolidate those new believers into a church that can be firmly rooted and grounded in Christ. And then like spokes on a hub, 
that church begins to spread out. Paul has already moved on. Silas catches up with him. A church is being established. Silas comes in with Paul to encourage him and then consolidate his efforts into a, an established church. Paul moves on and that's how they operate from city to city. It has been said that wherever Paul went, either a revival or a riot broke out. Sometimes it was both. And that was the case in Philippi. Philippi, they come upon uh, some women who are praying beside a river. And there's a, a woman there. This is significant because there's a woman among them named Lydia of Thyatira. And Lydia, when she hears the message which Paul has preached, immediately converts to Christianity. It's significant because Lydia is a woman of great wealth. We know she's a seller of purple, we read about in other places. And purple was an expensive dye that they used to dye the clothing of royalty and wealthy. So that's why purple became a symbol of royalty in Paul's day. It was formed by crushing the shells of some mollusks that lived in the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. It was very rare, very expensive. Lydia was a trader, a seller of purple. So when she became a Christian in the Philippian church, she had a big home that she opened up to Paul and Silas and the church met in her home. And then later on, whenever Paul is taking up a collection, he can always count on uh, a a wealthy benefactor in, Philippia, in Philippi named Lydia who will support the collection and send Paul on his way. So it's very significant. Lydia is converted. And then Paul encounters a slave girl who has a demon in her enabling her to divine the future. And Paul sees her and realizes who the demon is and he calls that demon out of the slave girl. And her owners, as you can imagine, are not happy with that because their means of income has just been taken away from them. They were using this slave girl to, to make an income, to make a living off of. Paul calls the demon out, the living's cut off. The slave girl's owners stir up a commotion in the city of Philippi and uh, it causes a riot. The magistrates, they come to the magistrates of Philippi and say, this is what Paul is doing and he's creating a furor and somebody needs to stop him and they uh, lash Paul and Silas, they whip them and then they put him into prison. And it says they don't just put him into prison, they inflicted him with many bows, blows and threw them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely Acts 16, 24, having received this charge, he didn't just put him into prison, he put him into the inner prison, which means, have you ever heard somebody been put underneath the jail, not just in jail, but underneath the jail? That's where Paul and Silas were, underneath the jail, in shackles on their wrists and ankles, and it's midnight. Now, if you were underneath the jail in Philippi, shackled wrist and ankle at midnight, what would you be doing? Oh, Lord, how could you let this happen to me? I am faithfully serving you, and here I am being whipped and jailed and shackled. That's, that's what you and I would do. That's not what Paul and Silas were doing. What were they doing? They were singing. They were singing praises to God. 
and the other prisoners heard them and the jailer heard them and God heard them. And when God heard them, he shouted a mighty amen with an earthquake and the prison doors burst open and the shackles on their wrist and ankles burst open and the hardened heart of the jailer burst open. And the jailer, when he realized that the doors and the shackles were set free, he immediately realized that these prisoners have escaped and he prepared to kill himself because that was the punishment for a Roman guard who let his prisoners escape. He was going to be killed anyway. And so before he could thrust the sword into himself, Paul and Silas said, stop, we're all still here. And the jailer, having heard them singing and realized that his life had been spared, said, men, what must I do to be saved? This must be a mighty God that you serve, that you have sung to and that has released you. I want to know about that God. I want to worship him too. And that evening, Paul shared the gospel with him and the jailer shared it with his family and he and his family were baptized and he fed Paul and Silas and he washed the wounds that he had probably created hours earlier. And it says the next morning, the magistrates found out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and they came and begged their forgiveness and they released them and they begged them to leave Philippi because they had created enough furor there in the short amount of time that they had been present. Gary would not want me to miss this opportunity to tell you that in the worst of opportunities, when it's midnight and things seem like they can't get any worse, when you are discouraged and disappointed and even feel persecuted for whatever reason, the one thing you can always do is sing. Sing. Sing the doxology. Sing a praise song. Start singing glory to God. And I don't care how bad the situation, how overwhelmed you might feel and be, I can promise you, you will be encouraged and your spirits will be lifted. And you say, Brother Wayne, I can't sing. Do you think God cares? No. No matter what tune, no matter what voice, if you're singing your praises to God, it will be a pleasing sacrifice in his ears and it will lift you up and encourage you. That's all we hear about Silas for many years. With the passing of time, Perhaps Paul has been executed in Rome by Nero, but Silas continues the work and he reappears in the first letter of Peter. Chapter 5, verse 12. Peter is writing and he says, by Silvanus. You remember I told you Silvanus and Silas are the same person? Silas probably... Uh, his given name, Silvanus, probably a Roman name, which he uses later on to gain entry into the Roman circles. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So later in his life, Silas is still serving. He's still in the background, 
but he's still doing what God called him to do. And now he has become a scribe for Peter. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So Peter is giving dictation. Silvanus or Silas is writing it down and that becomes the letter of 1 Peter. A scribe, a faithful brother in the Lord that Peter calls him, dictating a letter, writing it down to be delivered to the saints. I got to thinking that a faithful brother in the Lord, I can't imagine a better epitaph on a tombstone. A faithful brother, a faithful sister in the Lord. Silas had been that for Paul and later for Peter. Silas was willing to serve wherever he might be of service to the Lord and for his kingdom, rarely out in front, but behind the scenes with Paul encouraging, singing, behind the scenes with Peter taking dictation, helping, cleaning up, organizing, encouraging, singing, taking dictation, whatever was required, whatever was needed, Silas or Silvanus was there to do it. You could count on him a faithful brother, a faithful sister in the Lord. And I got to wondering in the church today, who would Silas be? Silas would be the one who was here when the doors are open. Silas would be the one who would arrive early and help set up the tables and chairs. He'd be the one who would stay late and make sure everything was cleaned up and put away. He would definitely be one singing in the choir or in the praise team. Maybe teaching Sunday school. Maybe working in the nursery in extended session. He would be on the faith team on Tuesday night because that would be his opportunity to carry the gospel out into the community. And whatever assignment you gave Silas, you could count on him to follow through and complete it because he would be willing to do anything and he would be faithful to the finish. He would be there to do it. And we need people like Silas today, not concerned about who gets the credit, but just willing to serve because they love Jesus and they want to tell others the difference he made in their lives. We have some faithful Silases here today. People who are a faithful brother, a faithful sister in the Lord. And let me assure you, this church needs you. But even more importantly than that, you need to be that kind of person. Not because the church needs you, not because God needs you, but because you need to give what you have to offer. Because when God asks you to do something, when he expects something from you, he knows that when you fulfill that calling, that it will make you happy, that it will fulfill you, that it will satisfy you. So when God calls you to be a Silas and when he calls you to serve, it's not because he needs your effort, it's because you need to give it. Because you need the joy that comes from fulfilling his hand, his calling upon your life. When you are obedient to God, when you are faithful to him, you are fulfilling your purpose for your created being here on earth. And that's where joy comes. That's where fulfillment comes. Not from accumulation of things. Not from surrounding yourself with 
busyness, but for fulfilling the purpose that God has placed you here. Obeying him brings joy. Will you be a faithful Silas, a faithful brother or sister in the Lord? I hope you will. Let's bow together. God, there's so few people like Paul and so many like Silas who don't mind serving in the background, who don't need the credit or the glory, but just have found the joy that comes from serving you. Arriving early, setting up, staying behind to clean up, singing, taking notes, working on a committee, teaching Sunday school, working in the nursery, whatever's needed, folks like that in the 125 year history of this church have always been there and always fulfilled those roles and responsibilities. And God, we need folks like that today, a faithful brother, a faithful sister, not because you need them, but you ask those things of us because you know we need them. We need to fulfill that role because in obedience comes great joy. And so help us, Lord, be obedient and follow you faithfully in whatever you call us to do and discover that joy that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.